You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to RenewLifeChurch.com. So good. Thank you, Braden. What, what, <laughs> we, what happened? We were with the pastor. And, and I, I brought West Texas to Australia. This is what happened. I full-on just brought West Texas to Australia. And these Australians weren't quite sure what to do with Brayden. They're, they're kind of like, I'm not quite sure. What, <laughs> we went to like a, uh, a zoo with these Australians. And this was Brayden the whole time. Every animal. Can you hunt that? Every animal we want to know. Can you hunt that? Can you hunt that? And they're like, well, I don't know. That's what he wanted to know the whole time. So we're at, we're at lunch with this pastor. And what the pastor said was, he said, um, hey, can I buy that knife off you? And Brain's like, why do you want to buy the knife off me? He goes, dude, those are illegal over here, and you cannot bring them into the country. He goes, I don't know how you actually brought that into the country, but you can't buy that knife, and it's illegal over here. Can I buy it? This is the pastor saying that. So you have a, so, so your pastor is an international criminal. This is, he's an international criminal is what's happening right now. But uh, it was awesome. It was just so fantastic. Every time we, people don't fully understand Midland or West Texas. If you're outside of this thing, I remember the first time he was with us in like a pastor's gathering and we all stayed in the house together. There was like a super hipster pastor from Brooklyn who's like everybody's young adults and creative is in his church and a guy from Kansas City, a guy from Denver. And the whole time that we're in the house, it was just all Braden stories. And Braden's in there with this guy from Brooklyn and all that. And this is what he's teaching us. He goes, well, this is how you catch a rattlesnake. He goes, you can catch rattlesnake. It's not too hard. And he's like trying to go over technique of how to catch a rattlesnake. <laughs> he's like, I used to it all the time when I was a kid. And we were all like, what? 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 So uh, I, I bring him now for like, just like, hey, come on, West Texas. Come on, West Texas. Come show us. Like, tell us how to, I'm like, tell that rattlesnake story. Tell that how to catch rattlesnake. So that's the best. Hey, well, good evening. It's good to see you guys. Thanks for having me come out, man. What a great time. And, uh, uh, last time I was here, I did, this building wasn't here. And so, man, what an incredible building. Just so beautiful and just really amazing what God's doing in this church. Not just this church, but this movement of churches that is impacting Texas. It's pretty, pretty incredible, and it's a real honor to be here and to be able to get into the Word with you. And, uh, and, and I always love, always love coming to Texas. I'm reminded, my mom was born in Texas. She was born in Lubbock, so I'm an honorary Texan. And, uh, but every time I come to Texas, I'm reminded Here's what I'm surprised of every time I come to Texas. I don't know how people live past their 30s here, uh, mainly because the first time I came, I ordered a chicken fried steak. And it didn't just come out chicken fried. It came out smothered in, like, gravy. It's this big old thing on a plate. I thought, oh, my gosh. And then I realized you guys smother everything. You don't just have corn. You have cream corn, which is corn smothered in something. And you don't just have, like, lettuce. You have coleslaw, which is lettuce smothered in something. And I remember being here. I'm like, how do, how do Texans live past their 30s? How is that even possible? How is this happening? And sure enough, man, last night I went to a restaurant, and I just ordered. I just wanted, like, I'm going to have some prime rib. It was the biggest piece of me. It was just bam, this prime rib that was, am I lying? It was huge. And then I ordered some asparagus with it and they literally like threw like three little things of asparagus. It was like, it was this massive slab of prime rib. And then they're like, well, I guess here's, here's a couple of spears of asparagus. Just, you know, 
And uh, it was amazing. And I love it every time. I love it. I, so anyways, hey, if, you're, if you have your Bibles, get them out. Uh, can I just say this real quick? I'm going to speak a message right now that I did not speak last service. But here's the deal. Last service message is really important. I feel like I'm supposed to speak this message this time for you, so I'm going to do that. But I do think if you have a chance, I'm assuming it's on YouTube or Facebook or wherever else, if you have a chance, I'd really encourage you to do this. It would be the best 30 minutes of your life listening to the message, all right, because it was phenomenal, all right? It was just really, really good. But I, it really is a foundational message about how the church is a family, not a business, and what that looks like, what that entails. But I would encourage you, because I'm going to switch up messages, but I would encourage you to go uh, listen to that message. But go with me to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17, if you have your Bible. Last service I said, if you have your Bible, turn to Jeremiah 17. If you don't have your Bible, sit next to a Christian and read theirs. And um, so I'll say it again this service. <laughs> Come on now, where's my, seven, where's my six o'clock service? Are you with me? Yeah. Okay, all right now. Braden said this was the best service of all three. And so uh, let's not make him a liar. Here we go, Jeremiah chapter 17. We're going to go there in just a second. One of the things I see as I walk with people, as a pastor, as I walk with believers, one of the things I see that trips them up the most or that confuses them or, or really disillusions them in many ways is when they don't recognize seasons. I really believe that as Christians, we're to recognize seasons. And many times we are confused or we don't know how to truly engage something because we don't recognize the season. I, you know, I remember going to England, uh, not England, Brazil for the first time. And, uh, and I didn't even, we were going to Brazil in June with Jesus Culture. And I didn't even check the weather app or anything. I just, it was June and it was hot. And I'm like, it'll be hot down there too. And I packed that way. I remember we'd go down, we were going to do this massive outdoor gathering. And uh, we get down to Brazil and it was cold and rainy and not the summer season. And I just was completely unprepared for it. I did not, I did not prepare for that season. And sometimes I run into believers who they're confused because they're freezing cold and they're completely tight and, and they, can't, they don't know why they're so freezing. And I'm like, well, you're wearing sandals and shorts and a tank top in the middle of winter. You're wearing the wrong clothes for the wrong season. You're unaware of the season, therefore you're unprepared for the season, therefore you don't know how to engage the season properly. Sometimes people are miserable because they're hot and they're sweaty and they're so uncomfortable. I'm like, well, yeah, it's the middle of summer and you're wearing a big parka, beanie, you know, pants and boots and gloves. Of course, because when, when we don't recognize the season, then it's, it's hard to know what God's doing. Like, what is God doing? And then, therefore, how do I interact with that? One of the things is this, is I think it's important we recognize the season we're in right now. And I really believe that the disruption that's been happening is connected to this. I believe we are in a season of revealing and a season of invitation. I believe that God is revealing things, and I believe he's inviting us to something. And what I believe he's revealing is this. I believe this last season, God has been revealing to us things that we have trusted and leaned on that cannot hold us. And that he is inviting us into a deeper realm of trust. I believe that much of what's been exposed in our lives and in the church is that we have leaned on things, we have trusted things that aren't God, and those have been exposed for what they really are, that they cannot hold us, they cannot sustain us. 
And as those have been exposed, simultaneously there's been an invitation to trust God at a deeper level. The Bible makes it very clear about this, that you're called to bear fruit. Throughout Scripture, one of the common themes is that as followers of Jesus, as sons and daughters of God, we are to bear fruit. John 15 says we're to bear fruit, we're to bear a lot of fruit, and we're to bear fruit that remains, fruit that lasts. And so as believers, every area of our life should be marked by fruit. Every area should be marked by fruit. And the Bible also says this, that it doesn't matter what season you're in, you should be bearing fruit. In every season, you should be bearing fruit. And what I'm going to talk to you about today is this, is I believe that God is revealing things that we've trusted that won't hold us, inviting us to a deeper realm of trust with him because he's trying to get us to a place of greater fruitfulness. God is trying to get you to a place of fruitfulness, every area of your life, in your relationships and in your marriage and in your finances and in your personal, uh, you know, purity before the Lord, in your, in your call, in every area of your life, he's trying to get you to a place of greater fruitfulness, but in order to get you to a place of greater fruitfulness, he has to invite you to a deeper place of trust. Are you with me? And the key to fruitfulness, and I'm going to show you this, the key to fruitfulness is, is trust. This is the key to bearing fruit. It's trusting God. Let me show this to you. Here we go. Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5. It says this. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands, they will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence, or one translation says hope, is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought. And never fails to bear fruit. This is what I, you know what I love about God is that he's so invested in your success that he just gives you the secret. Do you know that in America there's an entire culture, I mean an entire culture of people that attend seminars and buy books and join programs because they are interested in learning the secret of something. And the people will come up and say, I want to tell you the secret of how I made millions. I want to tell you the secret of how I retired at 30 and live in, you know, in Hawaii now. I want to tell you the secret of how I've had a great marriage. I want to tell you the secret to the happiness in life. And, and people want to know what that secret is. And so they say, I want to show you the secret of how I made millions. And in order for me to share that secret, you can attend my seminar. You can buy my book. You can join my program if you want that secret. Here's what I love about God. He's so invested. He's so invested in your success and bearing fruit. that He just gives you the secret for free. It's right there in Jeremiah. He says this. If you want to bear fruit, the key is trust me you got to trust the Lord. It's right there. It's not hidden. It's in Scripture. And, and he tells us this. There's two choices in front of you, or there's what I would call two doors. 
See, I, I really believe that the Christian life is not a complicated life. It can be a difficult life at times, but it's not complicated. There's two choices in front of you. Anybody in here old enough to remember the original Let's Make a Deal with Monty Hall? It's still going. I don't know if you know this, but Let's Make a Deal is still going with Wayne Brady. But the original Let's Make a Deal with Monty Hall, you know, 60s, 70s game show, and it's known for their, you know, people would show up with these extravagant costumes and these outfits, and then they'd play this game. But, but part of the game, and the part that we loved the most, was when, you know, a contestant would be there, and Monty Hall would come up, and the contestant might have $100. he said, do you want to keep that $100, or do you want to trade that $100 for what's behind door number one, what's behind door number two, and what's behind door number three? And the, and, and the part of the game was we're wondering, like, what are they going to do? Are they going to keep the 100? Are they going to choose door number one? Are they going to choose door number two? Are they going to choose door number three? And then the guy says, all right, all right I'm going to choose door number three. And then they, they go through and they show it. What they don't tell them is this. They don't tell them that behind door number one is uh, a set of hand towels. Behind door number two is a pile of rocks. And behind door number three is a brand new car and an all-expenses-paid vacation for you and 10 of your friends to the Bahamas. They don't give them that information, so they just have to kind of guess which one of them. That's why we watch the show. That's why it's interesting. See, I think that God would make a horrible game show host. I think God would make a horrible game show host. Can you imagine if Monty Hall or Wayne Brady... Can you imagine how boring this would be if somehow they said, hey, you got $100. Here's what you can do, though. You can choose door number one. It's, it's a set of hand towels. You can choose door number two. It's a pile of rocks. Or you can choose door number three. And behind that, well, it's, you, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a brand new car and an all-expensive-paid vacation for you and 10 of your friends to go to the Bahamas. Which one do you want to choose? Well, there'd never be a loser, ever, ever. There'd never be a loser. Like, I'd like door number three. This is why I think God would make a horrible game show host. Because God comes to us and says, here's the two choices that are in front of you, and here's the two doors. And door number one, it says, trust in man. And behind that door is what's called a cursed life. Now, a cursed life sounds dramatic, but Scripture describes a cursed life as a life that doesn't bear fruit. It's a life that's just in the desert. It's a life that's in the salt lands. It's a life that doesn't bear fruit. And so God says, well, there's trust in man. That's door number one. And on the other side of that door is just a life that doesn't bear fruit. It's a cursed life. Or there's door number two, which is trust in God. And behind that is a life, a blessed life, a life bearing fruit. This is what God tells us. This is what the Bible makes it so clear. See, this is what I think this season's been about. I think God's come and said, listen, I think that he's revealed to us that we have trusted in man. We've trusted in our own strength. We've trusted in our own effort. We've trusted in political systems. We've trusted in an economy. We've trusted in whatever. And God comes and goes, I need to expose to you some things that you've been trusting in. And then I want to invite you to a deeper realm of trust in me. Because, one, because his goal is, is to get you to a place of fruitfulness. He wants your marriage fruitful, and he wants your finances fruitful, and he wants your job fruitful, and he wants, you, he wants your life fruitful. And that's his goal. That's, that's how good he is. And so he just shows up at the game show and says, well, here's two doors. Let me tell you what's behind them, though. There's no secret to this. Door number one, trust man, curse life. Door number two, trust God, bless life. But even as clear as Scripture is on this thing, 
It's amazing to me, and, and we have to make this choice. Every day that we wake up, we consistently have to make the choice. Do I choose door number one or do I choose door number two? With my future, do I trust, do I choose door number one or do I choose door number two? With my finances, do I choose door number one or do I choose door number two? It's a choice that we consistently have to make. And what's amazing to me is this, even, even in the midst of God very clearly telling us what's on the other side of the doors, we still choose door number one. Yeah. I remember my son, when we, um, my son's 15, but when we moved, we lived in Reading my entire life, and then seven years ago moved to Sacramento area. And my son uh, really, had a, he moved in second grade, loves basketball, is a freshman in high school right now. He, he has been about basketball, loves basketball, works hard at basketball, wants to play basketball. And so in third grade, we officially were going to put him into AU, into a travel club. But I was new. Like, I grew up in Reading. We, I played basketball there, coached all of our kids there, my, the two older kids. But when I moved, we moved to a new city, and I didn't know anybody. I didn't know the coaches. I didn't know the programs, any of that type of stuff. So I take my son. He's in third grade. I take him to a tryout for this AU team. And there's 30 kids. They're going to keep 20 of them. They're going to make two teams. And my son gets cut. Now, listen, I understand that parents have like parent goggles when it comes to their kids and their talent level, but, but without parent goggles, my son was easily in the top 10 of these 30 kids, but he got cut. And I remember just spinning. I was struggling with it. My son, he's in third grade. He's like, dad, I'm okay. I'm like, I am not okay. You know, no, I'm not okay. And I was, I remember just, I was, it was just, it sucked. I, and I'm trying to figure out who can I call and what coaches can I get a hold of and what can I do? And I'm spinning around this thing for like three days. And finally on the third day, I got, I just got with the Lord and I said, God, why am I having such a hard time with this? And I realized that I didn't trust God with my kids. I realized because this wasn't just about like basketball. It's like this wasn't life or death, but this had to do with my son's heart. It had to do with my son's future, something he cared about. I was so irritated that somebody else could be in charge of that, that somebody else could do that. And, and I just remember feeling so powerless around that thing. And, and, and I just realized, oh, I don't trust God with my kids' hearts. And I remember just, just stopping, just saying, oh, God, I trust you with my son's heart. I trust you with my son. About a, about, I, would, I was choosing door number one. I was trying my hardest. And when I recognized that, I just stopped. Oh, no, no, God, I trust you with my kids. About a week later, he tried out for another team. And uh, just in the city suburb right next to us. And um, it's, it was maybe six, seven years ago. The best thing in the world. Every coach he's had has been the right coach for him. Right now, the head of that program is the varsity coach at the high school my son attends, and he loves my son. Every single step of the way. And I remember, I remember that the first time we played this new team that he was now a part of, where he started, we played the team that cut him just a month or two later. And I remember sitting there, not only did we whoop him, not only did we beat him and crush him, but that's a did. Not, not, that I, not that it mattered, but, but we, we beat him. Um, but I remember watching the coach interact with those other kids. And I, I legitimately, I almost like 
teared up in the stands. And I remember going, thank you, God, for cutting my son. <laughs> like, thank you for not letting my son make that team. The wrong team for him. And it's, it's amazing to me that even when we understand door number one, trust man, leads to not fruit. Door number two, trust God, leads to fruit. We still somehow want to, we, we, we kind of, we want to we do trust man. My own effort, my own strength, the economy, whatever else it is. It's almost like it's this, uh, it's, like a say, it's, like a, it's like a false security blanket. It's a little bit like, do you remember when you were kids? And you'd maybe go into your room and your lights would go out and you're a little bit scared because you're sure a monster's in there. So you get underneath your covers and when you're under your covers, you feel safe and secure. You, you realize though how, how that's a false sense of security, right? That if there's a monster in your room, that comforter's not going to do anything. Right? I, I, you're right? Like whatever monster you're afraid of, that little sheet that you put over your head, it's not going to do anything. This is how it is sometimes that somehow we like, even though we kind of know that, well, trusting man and, and trusting God, we still want to trust man. We still want to trust our own effort because it's like a, it's, it's a security blanket that is a false sense of security. And I believe that God has been revealing over the last 12 months or so that there, listen, we, we are holding on to false sense of security. And God's like, I want to take you to a greater place of fruitfulness. I want to take you to a greater place in your life where you're bearing fruitful, where you're bearing fruit in every area. And he is exposing areas so that he can invite you deeper. So that he can invite you into a place of deep trust of him. I think that the reality is, is that, that, if we're, that the invitation to trust God is an invitation of intimacy. This is the reality. Those that know God, trust God. And those that know God more, trust God more. To know God is to trust Him. And so God invites us into a deeper realm of trust by inviting us to know him more. I grew up in a, I grew up in a pretty conservative Baptist environment, and, 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 and we didn't have like, you know, in, words like encountering God and knowing God, and, and, and like though that wasn't part of our vocabulary. And so much of what they called faith was more just like, hey, you just got to like blindly trust God. You just blindly trust God. Just trust him because he's God. But God doesn't actually call us to blindly trust him. He actually invites us to know him. And that when we know him, the result is we'll trust him. This is Psalm 34, 8. Listen, listen to this verse. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And then here's the result. So he says, listen, I want you to come experience me. I want you to come experience my goodness. I want you to come experience my faithfulness. I want you to come experience my nature and my character that I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will. I am a father. I am a father. And if you'll know me intimately as a father, if you'll experience that and encounter that, then the result is blessed is the man 
who trust in him. So, so again, we talked about the blessed life is connected to trusting God. A life of fruitfulness is connected to trusting God. But that trust is a result of a re- it's responding to the invitation to taste and see that he's good, that he's a father. This is, if you, if you know God as a father, it's just a game changer. This is intimacy with God is where trust is developed and deepened. God, I want to know you. Do you know, even in prayer, much of prayer, Jesus connects consistently the concept of prayer with persistence. Like you have to be persistent in prayer. But he's constantly connecting prayer with God as a father. So he says, listen, you know, if you ask for a stone, will your father give you, you know, if you ask for bread, will your father give you a stone? No. And he's connecting the concept of asking God for something to God's a father. If you know God as a father, then you'll be persistent. And here's why. Do you know the most persistent people on the planet? Children. If you have kids, it's the craziest thing. They can come up to you and you're like, can I have this? No, you cannot. And then five minutes later, I'm like, here you go. It's a, it's a, I don't even get it. I, it's like, can I have some ice cream? You cannot have ice cream, not at all. And then like three minutes later, I'm giving them ice cream. It's, like a, it's this persistence that just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming and coming and coming. Uh, my son, when he was little, like my touch, my touch, love, my touch, my love language is touch. My son's love language, touch off the charts when he was little. And so I, and I, I'd come home from a long day at work, and I, he'd be sitting on the couch watching TV, so I'd sit down next. I'd sit down at the other end of the couch, but I'd sit down. And all of a sudden, I'd look over, and he'd be, like, draped on me. I'm like, oh, my gosh, get off me, son. Sit over there. And it'd be, like, 30 seconds later, I'd look down, and he's, like, draped on me again. I'm like, son, get off of me. Sit over there. 30 seconds later, he's just draped on me, like, Velcroed on, until finally I just give up. I'm like... Just watching TV with him draped on me, you know, because there's something there's there's something in the in the in the mind of a kid that's like I hear my dad saying "get off me," but there's no way he means that. <laughs> you know, it's that thing. It's like I hear my dad saying "no," he doesn't mean that though. This is the story of the friend who knocks at midnight. This is why people won't understand those who are persistent in their prayers and in their faith. If they don't know God like you know God, they think you're crazy. Right? Because this is the story of the friend at midnight. The friend at midnight comes and knocks on the door. God's literally describing himself as the guy who doesn't want to get up. And the friend comes at midnight. I need some bread. And God, God's the guy that's like, go away. I'm in bed. <laughs> no, 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 I need some bread. I've already put my kids down. Go away. No, I need some bread. And Jesus says, you know, because of his persistence, he gets up and gives him bread. See, this is, this is the concept of a child. And, and, and when I know God, when I've experienced him intimately as a father, then I just keep knocking. And people go, has God answered your prayer yet? No, nah, he will. He will. He's, he's my dad. He'll get up. I think he's saying he's not going to get up. Oh, he, he'll get up. He, he'll get up. He's my dad. I know he will. I just keep talking. I, like, I know him. I've experienced him. I've encountered him. And there's this persistence that comes when I know God. 
When I know his nature, and when I know his character, when I know he's a father, and when I know he'll never leave me, when I know he wants to answer me. Like this is just understanding. And so God doesn't say, trust me blindly. He says, no, come, taste and see that I'm really good, that my nature and character is this, and then from that will be a life of blessing because you trust. This is, this is why, listen to me right now, listen to this passage. Blessed is the one who trusts him. They will like to be a tree planted that sends out its roots. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. See, when you know God, this is where hope comes in. This is where peace comes in. This is where people that know God don't worry. Even when there's drought even when the heat comes, because they know God. They know how he works. They know the storyline of the Father in their life. See, those that know the storyline of the Father don't worry when drought and heat come, because they know how God works. When I was growing up, I was in middle school, one of the ways that my dad and I connected was we watched WWE. It was WWF at the time, but WWE. And we, you know, Saturday nights, Monday nights, we'd sit down and watch. And, uh, and I loved it. And it was a time my dad and I connect. And, and we would even go live. I've gone three times live when I was in junior high. A Royal Rumble once, pay-per-view Royal Rumble I was at, and then these other two. And, you know, and if you've watched enough, and I had all my favorite. This was back when, like, Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, you know, Randy Macho Man, you know, Savage, all these guys, right? And, and, and I loved it. My favorite was Ultimate Warrior, though. By far, my favorite was Ultimate Warrior. And, and I remember going, and if you can imagine that, that I show up to one of these events with my friend, and if you've ever watched one of these things, WWE is, is just a male soap opera, right? It's just a male soap opera. It, it's just, it's the same, and it's just a storyline. It's the same storyline every time, and it's these little storylines that are going on that culminate in this wrestling match. All scripted, all fake. It's the same storyline every time. And, I, and, and if you watch enough, you, you understand the storyline. You're like, I, I understand what's going on right now. But, but if I show up with somebody who doesn't know the storyline, it's a different experience for them than it is for me. We show up to the arena, we're sitting down, we go through the, preliminary, you know, the, the pre-matches, and then it's my guy, the ultimate warrior, against some guy we hate. The villain of the story. There's been a whole storyline that's been building up to this moment. And this guy next to me, he's new, he's watching with me. Well, if you've ever watched these things, it's the same thing every single time. They come out, they start fighting, it's a little bit even after a while, but pretty soon the guy that we hate starts beating up the guy we love. Every time. He starts beating him up, it's looking bad, he's starting to work in, until finally he knocks him down cold and he's just laying on the mat lifeless the guy next to me he's worried he's stressed he's concerned me not even not even close i know how this works 
I've seen this storyline. And, so and so he's worried, though. He's like, this is not good. This is not good. I'm like, don't worry about it. Watch this. And, 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 it, and it looks bad because he's lifeless. He's not moving. And not only is he not moving, the guy we hate, he's starting to just gloat. He hasn't even pinned him yet. He's so confident that he hasn't even pinned him. So he just starts taunting the crowd. They're booing at him. He starts kind of, you know, cheering himself on. He's gloating. All this stuff's happening. And the whole crowd is just in this hush. And a bunch of people may be concerned, but not me. I'm not concerned. Everybody else may be concerned, but they don't know the storyline. They don't know how this thing works. And I'm like, just watch. Just watch this. And sure enough, every time, all of a sudden, our guy just starts twitching a little bit. Just starts twitching. We're like, watch this. This is going to be good. And he's like, are you sure? This looks bad. This looks bad. Like, that guy looks dead. He looks dead. He's not dead. Just watch this. And sure enough, he just starts twitching. And the bad guy, he's still, like, cheering and gloating and doing the thing with the crowd. And all of a sudden, our, and, and the whole place, all of a sudden, is starting to shift. All of a sudden, there's this kind of rumble that starts coming. Because they see our guy twitching, too. And all of a sudden, our guy, he starts moving. He picks up his head. And all of a sudden, there's this kind of rumble. And, and all of a sudden, he gets up on one knee. And, we're, and he sits there for a while. It's dramatic. It's dramatic. And the guy's like, is he going to get up? I'm like, is he going to get up? It's as if you don't even know the ultimate warrior. Watched every match for the last six years of his life. You know, and, 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 and he's on one knee, and the crowd's all of a sudden gets like, and then all of a sudden, he stands up. And when he stands up, the crowd goes crazy. And I'm like, watch this. It's about to be over. And the guy doesn't even know that he stood up, right? Have you, all, have you seen this? It's the same thing every time. And then the guy, he's like, why is everybody cheering? And he turns around, and he sees our guy standing. And he gets this look in his eyes, and then our guy comes, does some, you know, whatever move on him, knocks him out, pins him, match over every time. Because I know the storyline. See, here, here's what I see with people sometimes. They're, they're the person sitting there going, this doesn't look good, this doesn't look good, this looks bad, this is not going to go well. And, and then those that know God. Oh, man, just hold on a second. Just wait. He's not answering. He's not answering. He's not answering. He's not answering. Oh, he's a dad. He'll get up. He'll answer. I just am not sure about my future. I just, I don't know where. Look, look, look. The righteous have never gone hungry. He's never forsaken them. See, when you know the storyline. See, this is the invitation to trust God at a deeper level, but trusting God at a deeper level is responding to move towards him in intimacy, to know him and to know how he works. Because when you know how he works, when you know how he works, when you read scripture, you understand this, that when people are standing in the midst of ashes, when it seems as if everything has been burned to the ground around them. I know how God works. And when I'm standing in ashes, what I know is this. Beauty is about to come from this moment. That I, I know how God works and I know who he is. And I know that when I have been weeping 
throughout the night when I have been in mourning and grieving and weeping that although I may have been weeping throughout the night, what I know is this, that when the sun begins to rise, joy is going to rise with that sun because this is how God works. This is even right now as we look around and people can start talking about how much sin is in the world and how bleak it looks and how dark it looks. And I just say this, if you only knew God the way that I know God, you would understand this, that where sin abounds, grace is about to show up in force. That where sin abounds, People may, people are worried right now because they're convinced that, man, the spirit of this age is going to get our young people. And I just want to stand and say, listen, if you know God, you know this, that the spirit of God is stronger than the spirit of this age. And if there is sin abounding in this generation, God is about to show up in force with grace. Because this is how he operates. This is who he is. And so, God, i got to trust you with my kids. And I'm having a hard time trusting you with my kids because the spirit of this age seems to be after them. But we say, God, I trust you with my kids because I believe that the spirit of God is stronger than the spirit of this age. And I trust you, God, in the midst of all that's going on. I know how you work. I know your character. I know your nature. I know the storyline of God. And I, I believe this with all of my heart, that God has revealed, he's exposed areas in our life where we have chosen door number one, where we've chosen to rely on our own effort. We've chosen to rely on our own strength. We've chosen to rely on our own work ethic and a paycheck and an economy and whoever gets in the White House. We've chosen to rely on the strength of man. And God's saying those things lead to a life that doesn't bear fruit. But he's exposing them so that we can respond to the invitation of intimacy, of knowing him more, so that we'll choose door number two. A life of trusting God. Just says, God, we trust you. We trust you. Here's everything we've been talking about, really, even, even the message last thing, is it's kind of ending with this thing of like, I believe there's a harvest coming. I believe that what God is doing with this church and what he's going to be doing with churches that are part of this movement all across Texas is God is setting you up for the harvest. But guys, we have to stand apart Sometimes I, it's amazing to me how we kind of just look like the world. I'm not talking about dress or anything. I'm, we look like the world and then we wonder like why, why the harvest isn't coming in. I was in a Hawaii. I go over to Hawaii to speak at YWAM quite a bit. And one of the first times I went over there in Kona, a friend goes, hey, I want to take you to this like underground cave. It's this underground river that's a cave. And I said, that'd be awesome. So we swing by his house and pick up like four of these. We're going with like six friends or something. We pick up four of these flashlights, these kind of, um, you know, underwater flashlights you can use. And you get into this cave, you get into this cave, and it's this, it's, I don't know how to fully describe it. There's like two ledges on each side that are underwater, you know, kind of up to your knees. 
And then in between, there's probably six feet in between these two ledges, and then it just goes down maybe about 20 feet. And so water's up to your knee, so you, can, you walk along these ledges, and you, go, you just keep going back and back and back and back until finally it's just pitch black, like you can't see your hand in front of your face. So you're walking, and it's just kind of creepy. It's, it's like a movie, you know? I'm like, some creature's going to kill me right now. I just know it, you know? It's one of those things, and you're like daring people to jump into the water. And they're like, I'm going to jump in the water. You're like, do it, you know? And so we're walking all the way back there, and we get all the way back, and you cannot see a thing. And they're like, all right, guys, let's turn on the flashlights. But we hadn't checked the batteries of the flashlights. So everybody goes to turn on their flashlight, and only one of them worked. Only one worked out of the four. When you were walking back there, everybody's kind of hanging out with each other until it gets pitch black and only one flashlight works. And all of a sudden, everybody's like, hey, <laughs> hey. Yeah, everybody just migrated over to the guy with the one flashlight. He was now the cool kid. He was now the guy that everybody wanted. Like, maybe, nobody probably even talked to him the whole way back. You know, they're like, I don't know, the kid's a dork. I'm not talking to him. Until all of a sudden... It's pitch black, and he's the only one with a flashlight. This is, I'm telling you, a harvest is this. When deep darkness covers the earth, the glory of the Lord rises. It's, it's, that, it's that we become the light of the world. But, but I want to tell you, you know what the light looks like? When everybody else is shaken, when everybody else's foundations are crumbling around them, when everybody else's anxiety and worry it's overwhelming, and we're up there going, oh, just watch. Watch this. This is a good storyline. You're going to love this. You don't need to worry. You don't need to worry. This is going to work out. What do you mean this is going to work out? Well, well I, I, know, I know God. I know how he works. We should stand out. Like people should look at us and go, why aren't you worried? Oh, because oh, I know God. Because I've, I've, I've trusted God. He's never let me down. He's never forsaken me. He's he, like, and, and, and like, how do you have that level of confidence? Because I know God. And I, I'm just telling you right now, in the midst of a society that is hopeless, that has completely lost peace, we stand full of hope, full of peace. And they're like, why are you so peaceful? Like, literally... The systems of the world are shaking. Say, oh, we're connected to a kingdom that's unshakable. I'm connected to a kingdom that's unshakable. And, 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 and I'm standing in the midst of deep darkness with a flashlight. And all of a sudden, people just begin to gather around. I say, what is it? Why, 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 are you, why are you so at peace, dude? Your guy is knocked out <laughs> cold. I know the storyline. I know how God works. And I'm just standing there with a flashlight. I'm telling you, it's going to be one of the things that brings the harvest in. Is people looking at your life in the midst of shaking. And just a, a, a firm trust it's where hope comes from. It's where peace comes from. You trust man, you're going to lose hope and peace. You trust God, 
you're going to be full of hope and full of peace. Why don't you stand up with me? It's the later service, so I just keep going. I don't know. Guys, it's only 5.43 for me right now. So, <laughs> so I got, we're good. I'm just, I'm just hitting my stride. Can we just take a moment? I, I, guys, I don't, I don't know what area in your life, if you're honest with yourself, that you've just chosen door number one. You're like, I'm just going to choose door number one. But, but you're looking at your life saying, man, I'm just not bearing fruit. I've lost peace. I don't have any hope. I'm not bearing fruit. A, a drought's come. Heat's come. My life is not bearing fruit in every season. And I just want to challenge you. It's because you're trusting in man. You're trusting in your own effort, your own strength, something to do with man, rather than saying, God, I trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. And sometimes it's scary to get rid of that false security blanket called trusting man. But we just have to come to a point where we recognize trusting man is not going to actually protect me. It's just not. And, uh, and, and I really believe that we are going to walk in the midst of deep darkness with our flashlight. And people are going to go, I don't know what that is, man. But I, I, I want whatever that peace is and I want whatever that hope is in the midst of shaking. And say, oh, it's connected to trusting God. Father, we come tonight, even I just feel like, even as I had to tell you, God, I trust you with my kids, just recognizing, God, I don't trust you with my kids' heart. Lord, we, we we, man, we choose door number one so many times. But tonight, we're going to be a people. We choose door number two. Whatever that area in our life that we need to trust God with, we're going to choose door number two. It doesn't matter if we feel it or not. And I would just say God's inviting you. He's, he's so tender and kind. God says, it's okay if you're struggling with trusting me. Will you draw close to me and let me show you my goodness? Because when you taste and see that I am good, you'll trust me. And so, Father, I pray for those that are struggling to trust God, are struggling to know God as a father, Lord, I'm just asking God that you would draw close to them, that you would reveal yourself to them, that they would have an experience with your goodness. I'm going to turn this over to Pastor, but just take just a moment right now and just let the Lord highlight maybe an area in your life that he's saying, will you trust me with this? Will you trust me? Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to RenewLifeChurch.com.